0: Welcome to Necro Nathan Presents Satanist Sanctum, a horror movie podcast where we will explore some of the greatest, coolest, most bizarre, and most vile horror movies ever created. Welcome, horror freaks. Welcome to an all-new episode of Necronathan Presents Satanist Sanctum. I am joined, as always, by the Witch of Midway. What up? (laughs) And our very special guest tonight, Michael. How are you tonight, Michael?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you for having
0: me on. Yeah, this is hopefully Mm -hmm. the first of many appearances by you. I I love the way you... Uh, look at films and uh, analyze them. It's, it's pretty incredible. So tonight's episode, uh, episode four of season one, we are doing Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is by Panos Cosmatos, who followed up this film with a more well-known film, uh, the Nicolas Cage horror film Mandy. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen Mandy and you love Mandy, definitely check out Beyond the Black Rainbow. And if you don't want any spoilers for Beyond the Black Rainbow, I encourage you to hit stop now. Do
2: not listen. We will not
0: reveal (laughs) everything in the film, but we will be talking in detail about the proceedings therein. All right, so getting right into it, our first question is overall uh, take or review of the film. Um, For me, um, this is a visual feast and... uh, a mind bending mind fuck of a movie.
2: That's an understatement.
0: Um, <laughs> it, it is visually incredible. It is psychologically filled with dread and terror. Um, it's got. We counted it up. It's got seven kills in this movie, some really creative kills. Um, very heady movie, um, very psychological. Uh, you really have to think about it. You really have to watch it more than once to understand it.
2: More than um, twice or yeah. three times.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite an incredible film. Um, I, I am, am now going to kick... What's
1: that? Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you're no, good. You're I'm good. laughing because I've watched it about a dozen times, and every time i
0: watch it, I'm like, oh... Okay, that's what it, that's what it's
3: about, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> well,
0: in that case, let's kick that question over to you, Michael. Your, t- Your overall take—you've watched it probably more times than I have. What would you say?
1: Um, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a, it, it is it, it visually it is a, a a treat. It is um, and it's extremely odd. Um, you know, it's not the the it it's um. It it, do, it 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 does that thing where it tells you the story by showing you images instead of like having like a linear plot and dialogue and people you know throwing out exposition. I mean, like the first couple of times I watched, it, I'm like, what, what, what the heck are these guys doing? <laughs> you know? um, but it's um but there's a there's a couple of themes that, that that kind of jump out at me. It's like one of them is about um. Searching for knowledge and and um, and mutation. And how how when you learn something, when you try to reach out, you um, it changes you. Mm. And we see that in this movie uh, several times with um, Barry and um, Elena. Oh yes, Doctor Nile. How advancement changes them. Um, but I also just the last time I was watching it, I was thinking that it's it's really basically just a a damsel in distress story. Where um where elena is trapped in the trapped in the in the uh in the
0: arborea jungle, institute maybe.
1: yeah by, by, by the by the evil wizard and she ha- and um instead of being rescued you know like all other damsels do she she has to do it herself
0: yes but, yeah, yes, yeah. the arborea institute is very interesting it is a a, a deep underground complex a labyrinthian complex. Um, very visual, uh, lots of red and orange, warm colors, uh, very, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's very advanced looking for its time. The movie takes place in 1983, um, which is actually my birth year. So it's very cool for me to see this, uh, this film. Michael's laughing because, because I'm a child to him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the year I graduated from high school. Okay. <laughs> See, that's this is how I feel with Gen Z kids. They're like, I was born in 2002. Uh, it's like, what? That's when I graduated high school. So weird. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's a very, like kind of like possessor in a sense, you know, we know when it's set because they tell us, but kind of like possessor um Brandon Cronenberg's film that we discussed earlier on the podcast, um kind of like that the technology and the surroundings are kind of timeless. Like, it could be a futuristic, uh, you know, the Arborea Institute, it could be futuristic, but it also has some analog technologies, and um, it's just very kind of a timeless story, the way it's presented qu- visually.
2: There are quite a few, th- like, set items that are like, okay, that's definitely 80s. Yeah, like that's tapes sure.
0: and things like that.
2: The so- car, the, the random couch. Oh, yeah, the DeLorean. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. The, the you know, the pyramid power, you guys probably don't know this, but there was like there's like this thing in the early eighties where, mm-hmm. where, you know, they would say a pyramid would cure everything, you know, it'll cure your baldness, it'll cure your
0: cancer. Yep. You know, they talk about the mystical energy and, um hmm, I think I actually kinda remember. Yeah, I told you about, about my
2: uh my great grandfather used to sleep with a pyramid above his head to mm-hmm. help with dreams.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting that they wove that into the film, <laughs> and the film starts with Doctor uh, Aboria, uh, Mercurio Aboria, Mercurian. yeah, um, with a ad for his institute that is uh, looks like it was filmed in the early '60s. Um where it's very like new age and trippy and it really sets up the tone of the film. I will say for uh, those that watch Mandy, Mandy is much more like kind of fast paced and more action than this film. Uh, this film, usually this is used as an insult, but it's not used as that here. I will say it's a slow burn film, but like in a really good way because it's so visually engaging um, and makes you think so much that it doesn't feel as slow um, what what would you say with Jim Midway as far as like your overall take on the film
2: so mind trip super super mind trip um, yeah. I'm one of those that I sometimes have a hard time getting into slow burn movies um, I know I will be crucified for this because I'm crucified in my own home for saying this but I am not a fan of 2001 Space Odyssey um, uh, I know, I know, I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Michael, come back, come back. <laughs> no, I, 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 I
0: totally
1: I totally get that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but at the same but time, you're a you're a fan of the witch. Yes. By uh, Robert Eggers. Yeah. And that is very okay. much a slow burn. That's very much. I a slow burn. love that movie. Yeah. I love it. Love See, it. the first time I saw the witch, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and so I didn't enjoy the pacing and the slow burn, but when I got it on video and watched it again, I was like, wow, this film is phenomenal. Like, yeah, once I understood... It's kind of like the first time I saw Pan's Labyrinth. I didn't know it was in Spanish, and so I didn't enjoy it because I wasn't ready for subtitles, but now that I've seen it, like, knowing what it is, like, it's amazing.
2: But no, my, my overall take is once, like... You get past it. Yes, it is a slow burn. Right. There is a lot to unpack. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. I like all the little random 80s vibes in the movie. Yeah. Um, also, I want to know more about this institute because... hmm there's so many different tunnels in there, and so many different rooms, and we meet like one of the experiments gone wrong. Yeah, he's how like many more. Were there one of the experiments?
0: He's in some sort of a combination straight jacket body bag with his head sticking out, and he looks like a he looks like one of the zombies? the the waters murky water zombies from House of a Thousand Corpses. He looks like like he could be a zombie almost. Oh.
1: And he was and he, and he was wet. Yeah. Right? Uh, he like, had all weird stains all over him. It just was
2: so gross. I want to yeah. know his story. Definitely like, one of the most, movie.
0: most visually <laughs> interesting horror images of the film, for sure. But
2: also... Okay, I might just be silly, but nothing had labels on it. Like, when she was in the elevator... Oh,
0: yeah, none of the buttons have labels. How
2: do you know where you're going?
0: Yeah. <laughs> did,
1: did, did you guys get the vibe that... Um, that the arboreal institute Arborea institute was an organism that was constantly changing and growing
2: i definitely got that would like she put her head to the wall and she could like hear its heartbeat
1: she could hear the heart well that was like a that was like a womb-like experience for her mm-hmm. yeah but like you know like if you need if, if the institute wanted you to have something it would just put an orange button in front of you
2: like you know, and you push right. the
1: button, and the things would pop out. That if you panel.
2: Have you need
1: to throw away a hole would open up on the wall, and you could throw, it, throw
0: stuff away. Yeah, and then like too the the fact that it's seemingly underground beneath a greenhouse makes you you know it kind of drives that point home of the constantly growing and changing organisms of the greenhouse.
2: Yeah, hmm. which
0: is interesting. Um, yeah, that's. Good.
2: I'm I'm still taking it all in
0: yeah and you've seen it like twice now i guess yeah definitely our next question is what is your
1: favorite kill or death yes Yes. yeah i didn't realize that it has such an impressive body count seven wow um all right so i at first i didn't like it and um but i'm gonna have to say that the, the the final kill when um barry nile when um, Elena finally succeeds in killing Barry Nile, mm-hmm. um, I think that's I think that's the that's the high point of the movie, um, and it kind of it, it, it kind of ties everything together, um, in this really weird way. And I'm gonna and I, I I kept meaning meaning to go back and um and get the name of the podcast down, but um but I I, I didn't so I, I'm sorry, guy. Whoever no, you are. you're fine. But it's, um, <laughs> I was listening to this podcast where the guy was talking about how there's this um there's this cop there's this big conflict in the movie between you know the trees that grow up up straight, you know are, are up um you know, and they're rooted straight up and then um the other kind of growth is the one that's underground where it where it branches out um and 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 what happened at at, at this at that scene where Barry Niles got killed is he got felt like a tree I mean, mm. it went right over
0: right, know? yeah, and it was interesting uh Richard Midway was saying that she saw somebody online on, I guess, IMDb under the plot holes section. They said, oh, um, they never explain why uh, Dr. Niles, uh, how he gets his foot caught and how he falls. And they obviously clearly missed the point of the fact that Elena has telepathic and telekinetic powers Mm -hmm. and that is fully explained earlier in the film and explains what happens to him at the end
2: how did you not get that? I got that (laughs) Yeah.
0: so the final one for you what would you say which of Midway for favorite Favorite. kill or death from the seven in the film
2: oh favorite kill or death I think the one with um, I assume it's his wife
0: yeah. Uh, Miss Nile.
2: Miss Nile. We'll
0: just call her Miss Nile like he's um, talking Martin to her. Rosemary. Ro- Rosemary Nile. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: Rosemary. when he has her face in his hands and he's talking to her and then he just
0: puts his thumbs over puts her his eyes and right into crushes her eyeballs her.
2: and just crushes her. He's like, "I have to be free of you. I have to I have to end you."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's Dr. Niles' journey to where he starts taking out everyone at the Institute and everyone in his life so that him and Elena can be together is the presumption.
2: I think it's... He's getting rid of everyone who could possibly hold him back.
0: And stop him from doing what he wants to, to do. To
2: ascend to his highest power that he right. can. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. Hey, yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, for sure.
1: We're gonna
2: have to talk about it now. But um, what do you guys think the relationship was between Barry Nile and um, and Elena? Um, mm-hmm. That's a good one. What do you think, honey? because um, you you had some. Well, hold hypothesis. on. Let me
0: let me touch on my favorite kill first. Okay. Um, okay. My favorite kill. Uh, I, it would have been the wife, but they don't show it. Um, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm a gore whore. And so I loved the killing of the skinny Hesher and the fat Hesher with what is referred to in the film, the dagger that Dr. Nile uses is referred to as the devil's teardrop. Devil's teardrop. And uh, when he, he on the skinny Hesher, he shoves it through the uh, soft tissue uh, underneath right. the chin and goes through his mouth and impales him with that. And then with the fat Hesher, he actually goes reverse, and he goes through the mouth and down through the lower soft palate of the mouth with blood squirting everywhere, just gu- just gushing out of his mouth.
2: The skinny guy deserved it, though. He was a douche.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But, yeah, I mean, these were just two hapless individuals who were listening to, to heavy metal in the woods around a fire, and uh, they got... In his way, uh, Dr. Niall asks the Fat Hesher, as he's called, um, Do you, where is she, where is she? Did you fuck her? Did you fuck her? And the guy keeps saying, no, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. he says, you, it, you fucked her. Yes, you did. And he just fucking kills him. Like, he's jealous of anyone that even is presumed to have harmed his sweet Elena. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to what you had said, what was the question again, Michael? What's
1: the relationship between the two of them?
0: See, earlier in the film, I was thinking that um, that Dr. Nile was her father. Um, but then as the film goes on, you, you kind of get the feeling in the film, as it goes on, that Dr. Arboria is the father. hmm um, and then, obviously, Dr. Niall is uh, the one who murders um, Elena's mother after he is initiated by Dr. Aboria and has a, goes on an acid trip and ends up murdering her. Um, I think you know he's been around, though, for those 17 years uh, since she was a b- baby all the way until 1983, and I, I think he's become obsessed with her. Not that he has any relation to her, but that, you know, because they even reference the fact that uh, Elena has seen her father before. He says, You'll, uh, you you want to see him again, don't you? And then we see that Dr. Aboria is old and, and sick and in seclusion inside the Institute. And so the implication is that she's seen Dr. Aboria before um, but hasn't seen him in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by Dr. Niles' behavior when he's analyzing Elena in the chamber that uh, he is literally just completely obsessed with everything about her. From not only her powers, but just her as an individual Watching, having watched her grow up in the Aboria Institute.
2: My take is that um, Dr. Abort, I Aboria. Aboria is definitely her dad. But the connection between her and Dr. Niles is that he was obsessed with her mother, that he had a thing for her mom. Right. And when you know, her death happened, he watched this girl grow up, and it, when she became more of a woman, it reminded him of his obsession with her, with her mom.
0: Yeah, because he you know, he starts the film talking to Elena and saying how beautiful her mom was. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the film, he refers to her as being beautiful in the same way that he had talked about her mom earlier in the film.
2: What do you think?
0: Yeah, what do you think, Michael?
1: I think that um, symbolically, Elena and, and, and Dr. Niles were, were more like siblings. Hmm. And 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 Niles' obsession with Elena was was sibling rivalry, because they both had the same experience where they went into the black goo and, and came out the other side, came out changed, you know. But Elena had all of these incredible psychic powers, whereas you know Niles was just this weird, you know, mugwort looking guy, <laughs> um, you know. And I think that um and 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 the thing that I the thing that I kept that I noticed this time is. At the beginning of the movie, when they're doing the the, the intro, mm-hmm. Doctor Arboria is wearing Barry Barry's hair. Yeah, it's like it's like a crown, you know. And later, when you see them, when you see Barry later in 1983, he's got he's got the crown. Yeah, and I think it's it's like kind of like this this rivalry where where, where Niles not only the, he's he's competing with this with with Elena, but he's doing it because he wants to best his father.
3: Hmm.
0: Um, so do you think Arboria is his father then, too?
1: I think he's like his intellectual father. Yeah, I got that. I mean, it, yeah, he, Like in the flashback sequence, he's very paternalistic. And, yeah. and he says, you know, before he goes into the pit, he he says, bring back the mother load.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, a lot I, of interesting uh, distorted and manipulated audio in this film. I
2: also think... Over time, like, each experiment with people got better and better, and Elena was the final one.
0: She it, was, like, the the perfection of all their work.
2: Yeah, because you saw it in that little weird zombie thing that yeah, we talked about a minute they, ago. They'd,
0: they'd but, been experimenting with mutations and all sorts of other...
2: But then, when you see Dr. Niles with... Out all of his appliances. 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 You can see, yeah, that's what appliances. they
0: refer to them as in the film. He and, and I guess that works because you think, oh, he's just wearing contacts to describe his, uh, to cover his bright blue eyes, uh, his kind of neonish blue eyes, but he actually has to remove said contacts with tweezers because of the way they're attached to his eyes. Um, Another interesting thing about Dr. Niles, which I think is the final thing that sets him free, is he's on some sort of a regimen of capsules that he takes at night, and he takes four at a time, and then uh, sadistically uh, or maniacally smiles in the mirror after he takes them, but then later in the film, we see him take a pill without water, um, and from that point forward we no longer see him take any pills and mm-hmm. he eventually uh, sheds his shell of appliances removing his hair and his eyes uh, getting into a special did you, did you
1: notice how after he took that that single pill that the walls melted behind, uh, yes. behind
0: him? Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like some sort of a pill that reset him to like who he was who he truly is and what he was hiding from everyone
1: well, did you notice also that his, his affect changed after he took that pill? Yes. Mm-hmm. He spent the rest of the movie like acting like he was on the verge of having an orgasm. Right. Yes. Like the closer you got to the end of the movie, he's just like...
0: <laughs> yeah, like when he goes to Elena's, <laughs> uh, Elena's cell and he uh, sniffs the bed sheets.
2: I thought he yeah. was about to start humping her bed.
0: Well, he does crouch over it and press his uh, his lower parts against the edge of the Is bed he, while he sniffs the sheets. His
2: Ghibli bits, as mm-hmm. it were.
1: <laughs> well, then, when he puts on that
0: suit, yeah, the leather, his
1: hands up
2: and down it,
1: and, and he's making these really gross noises.
2: Oh, my God, he took X.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right? There's definitely lots of drugs in this movie. Mm-hmm. Capsule pills and acid, and the acid is a part of the initiation. Arborea puts him through, he drops acid, and then goes on a, a mind fuck that ends in murder.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, did, you guys, did you happen to notice the name of the pharmacy? that he was, When he was taking the pills, you could see the name of the pharmacy? Mm-hmm.
2: It was Barry something.
1: No, it was Benway. You guys never read any William S. Burroughs?
2: No, but I saw a trivia question about that. Can you tell us about what that is?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how much you know about William S. Burroughs, but he's he a beat author from the 50s, wildly influential, totally out there in another universe.
3: Right. Love it.
1: And, and he used to write these just amazingly wild things. And one of the recurring characters, and they were all about the apocalypse and, and drugs and all that, and one of his recurring, re- recurring characters was Dr. Benway, who was like whenever he needed somebody to, to embody institutional evilness and selfishness and, and 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 you know callous behavior, it was always Doctor Benway.
3: Huh. Mm.
1: That would, would come onto the scene and and would talk about how he would line up people in the operating room and do like lobotomies well, one two three four five six seven and roll them out and bring the next ones in and you know send them to the government agency for for air conditioning afterwards. So that was so. So when I saw that, and I saw Benway. You know, I, I knew right away that
2: he was making some sort of connection. Uh-huh.
0: That's interesting. That's very fascinating. A little,
2: a little Easter egg.
0: I love that. That's awesome. That's great. All right, so our next question, moving on, is kind of an extension of what we're talking about, but favorite use of effects in the film, whether they be visual effects or practical effects, and it can relate to a death or a kill, or it can re- just relate to any of the many uh, visual effects sequences in the film. Um, we'll start with uh, Michael. I, I, without a doubt,
1: I gotta say, it's the fog. It's it's the way the way they use the fog to roll in and out and 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 with different colors and um, I think we're going to talk about music too later mm-hmm. on the movie. Yes. That, that first that scene where the the, the comes out and like you know he you know you know um, Niles cranks up the the pyramid mm-hmm. and the fog comes out. Yeah. And, the, and it just
0: rolls down the hallway. Um and and the music just hits like this crescendo. Yeah you know it's, yeah. it's
1: the eeriest eeriest thing I've
0: ever seen
2: yeah one of I my, love that the
0: sentinat is creepy
2: one of my things I said to uh, Nathan when we were watching that I said why is Daft Punk uh, stabbing her in the neck
0: right <laughs> yeah the sentinat comes out and gives her an injection and it, the sentinat for our uh, listeners that haven't seen this film does look like uh, OG Daft OG Daft Punk. It does. Except all black and red.
2: Yeah. Why is Daft Punk? Which is
0: just the other reason here? I love the Sentinot, <laughs> uh Centonot character is because black and red is my favorite color combination, and so what that that the, the, the all the red in the film and the oh. uh, contrasted with the the darkness and and then the sentinel and everything was very visually pleasing to me.
2: What do you think the fog was? Like, was it like something to knock people out? or what was there like drug in it
0: probably yeah i mean what you just said I, either one
1: well, you, saw, you saw the fog twice the, the first person that scene that we just talked about and then yeah. the second scene you saw it in the um in the trip that Nile
0: that took. oh back in 66
1: yeah where like like the, the, you know you see his skull and it just gets laid you know you see his head and it just gets laid down to the skull. Mm -hmm. Right. Smoke pouring into his nostrils and his eyes. And his skin you know, his head reconstructs once he's got the got the fog inside of
0: him. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because that is actually my favorite effects sequence in the film is Mm -hmm. that sequence set in sixty six the uh, yeah. a mixture of visual and practical effects with the dark sludge that he goes into um, after taking acid, and then the yeah the melting of the face down to the skull, the fog mixed with that, uh, leading up to the, you know the shadowy silhouettes and, that are blurred of Doctor Aboria and him when he kills yeah. Elena's mother. Like that whole sequence is just drenched and brilliant. Uh, it's it's a great example of combining. Practical effects with visual effects to create a very real looking, very cool looking, just badass sequence because I feel like with the way effects have advanced uh, visual effects have advanced that um... When you combine them with practical effects is when they work best.
3: Mm-hmm. Is
0: when you combine both, you know, the real and the computer generated together is when you get the most convincing and visually arresting sequences.
2: Mm. Um, my personal favorite is when she starts using her telekinesis.
0: Elena. Uh, yeah, Elena. Yeah. And
2: like the way that the. Um, Visually, it, the film is bouncing up and down.
0: Oh yeah, the yeah. blurring, and the, the blurring the shaking and the shaking and, the shaking and, the, and,
2: the, and everything. I Like, like that. when,
0: like when she is killing the uh, Arborea Institute. Margot. Uh, Margot. Yeah, Margo, the nurse or whatever you want to call her, attendant. Um, yeah, which I love that. It, that in that that's one of the coolest kills too where everything gets blurry and shaky and out of mm-hmm. focus and then her eyes just explode her out whole of her head, head just
2: pops. Yeah. Ah, it's so good.
0: Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant <laughs> sequence. Yeah. That's just, what I like. Yeah, I mean just an incredible
2: but I will visual also sequence. I will also say, um, for anyone who has like really bad migraines or um trouble with like flashing lights be careful of this movie because I personally have uh, trouble with that I don't go into, like, seizures or anything, but I got a right. really bad migraine. Yeah,
0: but if you are ep- epileptic, <laughs> uh, epileptic, which yeah. I was when I was a kid, um, definitely uh, maybe read up on this movie <laughs> as to what those sequences are before you check it out, yeah. because there is some strobing of lights and some other, you know, just visual distortions and yeah. things that can be... Uh, there were
2: times... Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, there yeah. were times that I had to, like, look down yeah, and like the, just, the like, strobe listen.
0: You had to look away because that really bothers you. Yeah. Yeah. So just know that visually there's lots of distortions, manipulations, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and light effects and things like that. Yeah. Although cool, like for me, strobing bothers me, but I force myself to watch it because I think it's a cool effect. Like it doesn't trip anything with me because I'm not epileptic anymore, but. Um, What works for me is I try to focus on one thing and ignore the flashing. Mm. And I am able to get through sequences like that by really kind of honing my attention to something that's not being manipulated. Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: those are still really cool effects. Right, they are. But they they can "Ah." be...
0: Yeah, they can be... (laughs) uh, Fuck with your head, for sure. Yeah. Um, Our next... uh, Question is an interesting one. This is one of my favorites that we do on the podcast. It is favorite moment with favorite character, mm. and we'll go with Michael first on this one. Favorite moment with favorite character. All
1: right, it's just a re- it's just a real brief moment. Um, and either one of these are my really my favorite characters, but I love this moment where um, where he comes home for the first time and his his partner. Whose um, name I can't remember. Rosemary you know, says, "Are you hungry?" And and she goes, "There's some there's some brown rice and steamed asparagus." That's so gross. And, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, that sounds really lovely." And you could just tell by the look on his face that it's not. But um, you know, in the in the in the late eighties, early nineties, I was living in Vermont with with, and I was surrounded by like this new age by these new age people, and they were all into macrobiotics. and that was that was the kind of that was the kind of horrible stuff that they would eat. Yeah. Um, because it's pure. There's no chemicals in it, and right, know, and, and um, and so that so that just kind of took me back to that, mm. to that time period and that whole that whole like new age. I call it the human potential mo- movement, where it's like they talk about like they try to sell you on the idea that you can be better than you are by 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 adding things to your life, by by adding crystals, by removing chemicals from your from your diet by by using machines to help you meditate which is like that like the Arborea Institute was all about that yeah There's right gentle, gentle
0: personal sculptures like It's, it's a, kind of like transhumanism right Like what? Like it's kind of like transhumanism, where you're trying to achieve like a higher uh, self, a a higher self, a higher like a beyond uh, a beyond the frailty of humanity, beyond the limitations of being human, kind of like a transcending above uh, what is normally accepted as as being human which is kind of what yeah. the Arboria Institute was doing they were trying to exactly you know yeah you know create like a, a mutant version or a modified tr- uh, you know transcendent human that can be the next uh, step for humanity an
2: evolution yeah
0: the next step in evolution for humanity mm. yeah it
1: goes all the way back to Alvin Toffler um wrote a book in the 1970s called future shock it's all about like the it's all about like the effects of this uh, the effects of this increasingly technological based world that we live in that it could the, you know the the effects that it could have on us. It. It's been a long time since I've since I've looked at this, so I don't remember if he was for it or against it. But a lot of the things that he talked about in his book about like the chemical enhancements and the meditation and all that were in this
3: movie. Hmm.
1: You know,
2: I I find all that really interesting because there's this. Uh channel that I follow on YouTube that's called Gaia and they break down all kinds of stuff like this and some people on the outside might think okay this is really weird but it's really it's interesting once you like really get into it and like yeah. There's so much that we don't know about the human mind well, and what I we're mean, capable of. yeah,
0: I mean, they say we only use 10% of our brain's capacity and so what Arborio was really exploring was, you know, what if we expand our, you know, our ability to use more of that capacity? And I think originally like where Arborio was going with it, I think he was uh genuinely looking for like a positive way to advance humanity. Whereas Dr. Niles, when he essentially took over, when Dr. Arboria became too ill to run the Institute, his, uh, his intentions were more nefarious. Um, well, that, you know, was, that was the
1: big thing about, about the, the, the New Age movement, was even though it was talking about growing and expanding your consciousness, it was still very selfish-based. It was still all about me, me, me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't about becoming a better citizen or a better person. Or learning how to care for, for things that aren't you. It was about how to make yourself better so that you can have a greater chance of success. Hmm. And you guys know you guys know that now in, in you know twenty twenty one we're living in an age where people's runaway desire for success is you know, basically fucked us as a planet. Yeah. Right. You know. That's you know,
2: where just, it started. Oh. Yep.
0: <laughs>
2: That's true.
1: It that's did, you know, that, that was that whole, it, it was the outgrowth of the B generation, to the greed is then we went into the 80s and greed is good, and, um, and then, oh, and we're going to talk about Ronald Reagan later if we get a chance to, you know, because to me, the Reagan era, that's the point in my life where I saw America change direction, mm. and it became that more inward focus, the heck with everything that's not mine, I just, uh, unless I can make it mine approach.
0: Yeah, Yeah, when they touch on that in the film, showing Reagan Reagan on the TV, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. they definitely touch on that
2: theme. When they're showing that part with Reagan on the TV, I really want to go back and just focus in on that scene of what he's saying, because I know, based on this film, every little detail in this film matters. So I know for a fact that what Reagan's saying at that moment probably has a big impact on the movie. Yeah. Like, I want to go back and dissect it.
1: Well, he's talking about the concept of mutual assured destruction, where where that was the point where we began to realize that between the Soviet nuclear weapons and our nuclear weapons, right, we had the capability of destroying the entire planet twenty two times. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Um, okay. So you said you had another favorite character.
1: Oh, no, that was that was that was just a,
2: just him and Rosemary. That was her name. Yeah, Rosemary. My my favorite character is Dr. Nile. I yeah. I love his transformation and he's so he's so creepy in that sense that like it makes your skin crawl when he talks. Like every single time he talks, it makes me want to go take a really hot shower. Yeah, I don't
0: like. I mean, going back to what Michael said, I love that. I do love that line from Doctor Now where she goes, "Oh, brown rice with some asparagus," and he goes, "Oh, wow, that sounds really great." But uh, I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That sounds really like yeah.
0: It's just so like sarcastic and Mm. like just he overemphasizes the point when When, he says it
2: one of the things on the little (laughs) trivia i was reading is someone says if you like um the agent from the matrix and the way he talks but you wanted him to speak a lot slower you'll love this character (laughs) he speaks so slowly and it's Very intentional, everything he says, and it's just like when you're
0: talking when Margo, he's going to Margo and says Elena may have some illicit material in her uh, her cell, and she goes uh, before he says what he wants to say, he's like be on the lookout for that, and then she goes as he's starting to leave, she goes "Uh, how would she have uh, gotten a hold of something illicit, and he just slowly goes I don't know. I don't know, but I'll be looking into it.
1: <laughs> and, oh, I love that moment. And he's rubbing,
2: he's yeah. rubbing her shoulders the whole time. I'm like, Can yeah. it get even more creepy. Yeah, he's
0: like creepily rubbing her shoulders while he's Mm-mm. telling her about this. Like, Mm-mm. and at this point, obviously in the film, he knows that she has accessed the secret manual that has all all of their dastardly plans for Elena inside of it, um, where there's all the the uh, illustrated sexual images of vulvas and shafts and phallic symbols and uh, and uh, mixed in with all this stuff about prescription drugs and an- analyses of her psyche and it's just very bizarre and disturbing. It disturbs Margot and when he finds out, he, like, goes and creeps the shit out of her and then sends her to her death in Alina's cell.
2: Because she knows too much. Yep. He found, fa- out, yeah, found out she found out she found out too much. Yeah. Yep. My favorite moment with him though is when he's sitting in his chair and trying to talk to Alina and
0: Oh yeah, in one of their but, sessions.
2: Yeah, but like even his facial expressions, like the twitching of his face and it it's just so creepy.
0: Yeah. Mm -mm. and then the banging of the pen on the clipboard where he makes her essentially cry because of it and then when she cries he says very good very good
2: he's one of those guys (laughs) that if you saw him in like the grocery store you would turn around and go the opposite way
0: yeah (laughs) yeah definitely definitely um your favorite yeah my favorite let's see this is hard um We've covered so many already. I don't. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, Dr. Nile is obviously the most interesting character in the film. So many layers to him and trying to figure him out. Um, I do love the sequence. Uh, I love all the ones we've talked about. And I also love the sequence where he transforms into his true self when he pulls the wig off and it's like. Attached goopy. to... Yeah, it's goopy. It's, like, attached to his, his his bald head with, like, some sort of a goop, a slime or something. And then re- he removes the contacts with tweezers. And they show you just enough of that to make you cringe. Like, imagine taking tweezers to your eyeball. And then, like, the, the, <laughs> the special custom-made... Uh, a uh, suit bag that has his leather outfit where he transforms in, you know he puts it on and it's there's leather boots and leather gloves and a leather jacket and pants and and he fully becomes and then like probably my favorite moment though after he becomes who he truly is uh, aesthetically at the end of the film is when he's driving tracking mm-hmm. he has the tracker on Elena and he's following her and he's driving in his DeLorean and uh, the, the way the lighting is his blue eyes become green and his skin his pale albino skin becomes yellow, and it remind. I love that sequence because it reminds me of that yellow bastard from Frank Miller's Sin City. Uh, yeah, he looks exactly like that yellow bastard. Like the tone on his skin of the yellow is almost identical, uh, and then just the how evil he looks with those those. Dark emerald green eyes,
2: and he looks over at himself, imagining himself. Yeah, imagining saying, himself. You did good.
0: Yeah, imagining himself. You're the- so
2: good. You're yeah. doing so good.
0: Yeah, it's just such a like visually like uh, creepy and scary, terrifying moment in the film, um, which brings us on to our next. Uh, question, which we already somewhat touched on, which is a uh, favorite song or musical theme in the film, and we'll start with Michael.
1: Oh, Sensionaut. Man, when when that, 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 I, I, like, used that in my own amateur, very, extremely amateur um, video projects. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's such a such a powerful song. Yeah. Um, the way, the way, just the way it starts, it starts with her gasping in pain and then the machinery starts to wear up and then the, the the organ comes sweeping in and then the electric guitars and then it and then it eventually it all just kinda dies down as mm-hmm. as, as as the scene ends. Mm. Um I love that I love that that just that little I mean I even got the, got the I could got the Blu ray
0: and I just yeah that little recording of it just so I could have that. Mm. Put that on my mixtapes and stuff. That's awesome. I love that. I love that sequence oh, was great too. I to about that question. <laughs> yeah. No, that sequence is is amazing. Um if I, I guess if I had to pick one out like visually and and audibly, that's definitely one of the best. Um the I mean the thing in this film is like the music is constant. There's constantly oh just this, it really sets the tone for the entire film, and that's why I say it's not your typical slow burn, because there's always something either visual or audible um, that keeps the pace going and keeps you engaged, Um, and just the overall, I would say, my answer to the question is just overall, the score in general just... When you need to feel, when they want you to feel dread, you feel dread. When they want you to feel terror, you feel terror. Like in in large part because of the soundtrack.
2: There's only I think there's only one part that doesn't have music, and it's when she's in the um, air shaft, the concrete air shaft. There's nothing there. It's like
0: or the or the Doctor Nile at home. Uh, when he first comes home, there's no music. Mm. So, yeah, but that's the thing is that, that you could probably count on one hand the amount of scenes that don't have music, whereas you wouldn't be able to do that with the scenes that do have some sort of a, a audio behind it uh, because there's just so much of it. And it kind of interplays hand in hand with the sound design. Um, which I really love as an audio engineer that used to tinker in these things. I mean, I used to do this for my career with mixing, sound design, and music, and having them interplay with each other and bounce off each other. And uh, at times, the music is the sound design, and vice versa. Like it's just very much like this intermingling of sound effects and and soundtrack that create the uh, you know the pastiche of the film.
2: Pastiche. I like that word. <laughs> yeah,
0: the aesthetic, you know, the aesthetic mm-hmm. of the film is all the visual uh, effects and, and lighting and everything, and then your 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 oral or audible pastiche is created with the soundtrack and the sound design.
2: One of my my favorite is that it has this uh, synthesizer throughout it, which really really puts you in the 80s. Yeah, like it yeah. just gives you that whole. Um, feeling.
0: Giorgio Moroder in a horror film type feel. Very much. Yeah. I
2: love it. It reminded me of um, like Tron like the original Tron soundtrack. Yeah. Like that very like Computer. I mean, it was, it was
0: literally like if Daft Punk was in the 80s and they made a horror soundtrack.
2: There you go. You
0: know, <laughs> they made a horror soundtrack that was written by Giorgio Moroder. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's this film.
2: <laughs> some a picture of what that actually is. Yes.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and of course they end up collaborating with him later. Yeah. With, uh, uh, what's the name of the album? The uh, uh, something memories. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay, so Giorgio Moroder made an
1: album together they did
0: well, they they made a track together. Um, it's called uh, Random Access Memories is the name of the album.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Random Access Memories, and they did a whole track that includes a monologue from Giorgio Moroder. Um, and speaking of monologues, we move on to our next question. Favorite dialogue or quote in the film? Um, obviously, with a film like this, it's probably going to be more of like a sequence of dialogue or something as opposed uh-huh. to a quote. I don't know if there's a lot of quotes, but uh, what would you say, Michael, is favorite like kind of dialogue sequence in the film? Yeah, well, you know, we, we, we
1: talked about... Um, um, we talked about uh, there's two that, that, we, that we talked about earlier. One is is the whole steamed asparagus thing, but <laughs> yes. also that that, that steam with Margo where he's where he's rubbing her shoulder and he's like, I don't know, I intend to get to the bottom of it or what you know it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so um, yeah, it's,
0: it's creepy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, he's obviously already sealed her fate as to how he's, he's going to let Elena dispatch her. Yeah. Mm. What would you say, Witch of Midway?
2: My favorite dialogue quote.
0: Yeah, um, his kind of favorite dialogue sequence in the film.
2: The whole first scene that you see when you meet Elena... When he's doing his question and interrogation on her, I would say. Um,
0: Very good.
2: Very yeah, just good. the whole thing is so creepy. And it reminded me, like, with her hair down around her face, reminded me of uh, The Ring. yeah. Like the little Samara from The Ring.
0: Like Samara if she was the one being tortured. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's what he's doing. Well, Samara was tortured. I mean, that's what he's doing, though, and that's to her is he's psychologically torturing her.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that's what he's been doing for years as we enter the film is he's been slowly carving away at her psyche and cutting away at her soul Mm
3: -hmm. with
0: every session that they do together. Mm. um in in large part due to his behavior in those sessions i think also
2: another scene with him and rosemary the the wife mm-hmm. when he comes out of his room and she's like are you okay
0: yeah she's What's like I, you haven't What's wrong with you? you haven't let me see you without your accessories in a long time
2: yeah, yeah. are you feeling okay
0: i thought you were an intruder yeah yeah
2: like she yeah. she just keeps looking at him like, what is wrong with well, you? It's like, like she doesn't wrong.
0: recognize her own husband. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, because he's not. No. Right. Not anymore. Not anymore.
1: He, he, he's done that whole imago thing and, and, and gone to the next stage of his evolution.
2: Yep. He's yeah. evolved. Plus, I'm pretty sure that she was smoking pot the whole time. So she probably wasn't completely there. She
0: was definitely that new age. Uh, believer that Michael was talking about from that time period in our country where you know the the asparagus and the brown rice and the you know she had a, she'd obviously been a student via the books of Mercurio Arboria be yourself uh, yeah the be yourself yeah. all separate words be your and then separate word self is the name of the the book and like she's definitely bought into this new age uh, thing that Arborea started, and Nile's once Nile, Doctor Nile wants to take it beyond and into a darker area than what was an an or initially intended. I think
2: he just got really power hungry. Right. Yeah. Like he. My question also is, what do y'all think about this? Is once he fully became himself, there was a. Brief little scene with the skinny guy that he kills.
0: Skinny Hesher. Yeah.
2: But he puts his hand out and I feel like he has a little bit of the telekinesis too. Yes. Like not to the extreme oh, yeah. that she does. Yeah.
0: He puts his hand out and lights flash and lights. He's like he's like six feet away from him and he puts his hand out, lights flash, and next thing you know he's plunged the devil's teardrop into the soft palate of the skinny hesher. Like he
2: has a little bit of what she has.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think at the end he's like, "Come to me, come to me," because he thinks the final stage of what he's been a- attempting is the two of them joining forces to create a new path for, uh, for new <laughs> path for humanity. You know. And uh, that was actually uh, the Beyond the Black Rainbow uh, menu popping back on there for a second. <laughs> my, uh, my mute on my uh, sound system only works for an hour, and apparently oh. we have reached the, the hour, and that was the, some of the music from the film. <laughs> you
3: got a um, little glimpse. A little, little,
0: little tantalizing bit there. <laughs> uh, for me, um, my favorite quote-unquote dialogue uh, is actually from Elena, which she doesn't have dialogue, but she her, the actress that plays her it, it does nonverbal dialogue. Mm. And my favorite nonverbal dialogue from Elena in the film um, is when she first pushes through the last metal barrier to get out of the Arborea Institute just outside the greenhouse. And she starts... Uh, we have to remember, Elena has never been anywhere in her life except on the inside mm-hmm. of the Institute. And when she comes out, like, before she just steps out, like, you know, one would do if they were trying to escape, um, She, there's all this bark and dirt and all these plants and everything. And for several considerable moments, she is feeling with her hands and then her feet something that she didn't even know existed. Like, she didn't know that there was, like, Mm -hmm. something as called the outside. Mm. She doesn't know what plants are or what bark and dirt are. You know, they show her after she mud. gets out, like in the mud, stepping <laughs> through the mud, and it's almost... She's just experiencing all this stuff for the very first time. She's 17 years old, and she's experiencing all this stuff for the first time and just taking <laughs> she in all... She's mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Walking in the mud, she's giggling.
0: Yeah, because she's taking in, like... Like the textures and experiences and fresh air and just like all this stuff that she you know and she yeah she's giggling because she's like she feels freedom for the first time and she's thinking to herself probably this is what freedom feels like mm. you know this is what being free of of tyranny and oppression cuz that's all she's ever known um yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible, uh, incredible sequence, I think, in the film and a very good nonverbal performance from the actress, um, for sure.
2: That's a good thing that you t- touched on the nonverbals because sometimes dialogue is not just only about, you know, what you say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that that actress that plays Elena, her performance is entirely nonverbal and she is phenomenal. Like she really conveys everything you need to know about her and her reaction to everything that's going on with her nonverbals, like in such a convincing way. Like a really good, uh, between the tears and the exploring the outside world and the, you know, when she goes into her telekinetic or tele, uh, telepathic abilities, like just it's all very convincing and very authentic um, to be certain. All right, so we will now move on to our final question of the evening, um, and that is, what ab- about this movie makes you drawn to it? Is it the story, the overall message, the actors or filmmaker, or perhaps nostalgia? And we will start with Michael.
1: Um. Thank you for letting me go first,
0: by the way. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: But, um... I that's I I love this movie from 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 the opening frame to like the la- I just watched it all the way to the end and I realized
0: there's like
2: a there's like a, a little post credit scene yes, yes.
1: with a little toy I've never seen that
0: before. Well, what's interesting with that is what that's the the sentient yeah. as a toy yeah which makes you wonder what did how does that relate to what we just watched and what does this mean.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, if you want to take some meaning from it, this is tying this up a little bit, um, there is, that's one of the things that, that that also, I mean, happened in the 80s was commercialism, I mean, it started in the 70s with Star Wars, where you could get, you know, Star Wars merchandise, and now basically they just make new Star Wars movies to sell, you know, toys. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and there was a, there was a time, and again, this relates to Ronald Reagan, where, um... The FCC had very stringent rules about commercial content with the uh, with which with what the program you're watching. And one of the things is that Reagan rolled back was that FCC control. So basically, Saturday morning was a great time when I was a kid to watch cartoons, and I thought all sorts of. Right. Really Same here. But but once 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 Reagan rolled back those FCC rules, basically children's programming became 30 minute commercials for toys.
2: Oh for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean that's what we grew up with was pretty much everything we watched on TV had a toy for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Either at the yeah. stores or at uh, like you know, McDonald's. That was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Um, hmm. so I I I guess in answer to
1: answer your question, I wanna tell you
0: that Oh, Uh-oh. 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 looks like we have temporarily lost Michael. Um, hopefully he will come back in here in a moment we are going to try and reconnect i'm I'm back okay michael is back everyone uh and uh we just talked about the uh the reagan uh rolling back the regulations to where that essentially led to to mine and amanda's generation of growing up with Um, toys that, you know, or cartoons, I guess, and shows for kids that directly related to toys being sold in stores.
1: So I'm I'm going to tell you my favorite scene. The the thing that draws me to this movie is the final image of Elena. The camera pulls back, and you see Elena walking towards the very uniformly laid-out bedroom community and they're all in their living rooms watching television Uh and she's she's walking across towards them she's drawn to those lights and i and i wonder what the next step is going to be i mean like elena we recognize that we know that elena's an incredibly powerful person and she's she she slayed the 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 reptilian dragon of of dr barry nile right what's what's gonna do next i mean is she gonna be in love with the world is she going to want to add something to the world, or is
0: she going to try to? Is she
1: going to try to break the world? Yeah. Yeah. will
0: tried to break her. Well, at the end there, she's st- right? at the end there. And she's standing at that uh, the precipice of the wilderness and the neighborhood. And what we can see is the house closest to her is the glow of the television. hmm
3: uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's kind of showing the difference between the wilderness she escaped into and the world that Dr. Nile promised her she wasn't ready for.
1: Yeah, and I just, I wonder if there was, a, if the reason why that he felt that he kept her sheltered was, you know, one, for his own personal reasons, but also because she was a dangerous, she was a dangerous creation.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it almost seems, though, that Dr. Nile was more worried about what the world would do to her because he told her earlier in the film, it's a he said case. that the way he described the world, he said chaos and danger. And he basically said, in so many worlds, the world is fucked up and it will eat you alive. And when the way he described it in the film reminded me of what's going on right now in our world. I mean, you know, not to get too political here, but we did just have anarchist insurrectionists attack the very citadel of democracy this past week here in America. And the the way he describes the state of the world in this film that's set in 83 is like a perfect description for what's going on right now. And I'm thinking when I watch this and hear him say this, I'm like, wow, not much has changed, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the, the, the idea that came to my mind is what if we're living in Elena's world? What if she's the one that's driving all of this strife and conflict? Mm. What, if, what, if, what if we're, her, what if we're her, her puppets, her animations
0: that she's playing with? Thanks, Elena. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a
2: very valid,
0: like... I mean, people think simulations are sci-fi or, you know, science fiction, but, like, you know, there have been people, uh, modern people that have predicted that or or prophesied, I guess, that we could all very well be living in a future society simulation Mm -hmm. and that this is some sort of a twisted, fucked-up game Of a world, and that we're essentially playable characters that are being played by future netizens uh, of uh, you know centuries from now or whatever. Yeah,
2: to try to write what happens in the future and try to see where it went wrong. Yeah, where they could have stopped it and fixed it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's kind of like it reminds me of this early, the early Sims games on, on Microsoft PCs. Um, You know, the early Sims games, you know, the idea of the game was supposedly to create a thriving um, society, a thriving community and city um, by, you know, building all these things and doing things that would benefit. But, you know, what the one thing, and I'm sure I'm not alone here, but what's the thing that I enjoy doing? building everything up in the Sims games so that I could attack it with UFOs or tornadoes or fire and just burn it all to the fucking ground. Like, that's what I'm saying, though, is if I had that intention, you know, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that played Sims when it was new on PC, uh, that, you know, enjoyed destroying everything. And so what if, you know, we are in a simulation where... The future people's, you know, maybe they live in a perfect utopia and they get some sort of, a, you know, enjoyment out of escaping into their VR world and experiencing total chaos and anarchy via the simulation we think we're living in.
2: That just explains so much about you. I'm like, oh, that makes more sense now. Yeah. I, I love you, honey, but that makes a lot more sense. I'm just saying, like... <laughs>
0: It's not far-fetched to say that, you know, because I think it's human. There's a part of us that enjoys destruction and darkness, and if you delve into that enough, as I have over the years throughout my life, like, you understand the predilections, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, me and, you know, someone who's a criminal, you know, an actual serial killer or something is I just, I stop my enjoyment at being tantalized by these things, and but I value my freedom more than I value experiencing said craziness. And so I'll never take it to that next step. You know, Whereas a serial killer, they have to experience it for themselves in order to get the same enjoyment out mm, of let's it. Let's
2: not talk about me and my gigapets. Oh, well, exactly. You yeah, have the whole you, world in your hand.
0: Yeah, she used to torture her gigapets.
2: Don't tell that on public. No, whatever. <laughs> I
0: just confessed. You must confess. <laughs> I'm saying, like, you know, like there's a certain part of human nature that desires the darker side <laughs> and desires the sadistic nature of things. And I think, you know, uh, simulations and digital pets and uh, SimCity on the PC desktop computer is w- ways that we exercise those demons. You know, and maybe Elena's world, as Michael says, you know, is the way she exercises her demons is by fucking with us.
2: Mm. <laughs> what's What's your... that brought
0: you to the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just all of this that we've discussed, you know, what we're discussing now. Like, the fact that this movie has turned into the conversation it has is proof that this movie is worth seeing and, and, you know, brings up a lot of interesting thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know, about New Age philosophies and, you know, science fiction and simulations and manipulations and psychological you know, in mutation and like there's just so many avenues that you can ponder on mm-hmm. after watching this movie. Um and I, I feel like this film isn't so much about like, you know, the it's not meant to have a straightforward narrative that's easy to understand. It's meant yeah. to make you think. And just based off of the conversations we've been having on tonight's podcast, I would say that it did exactly what it was intended to do. We've had lots of interesting conversations Mm
3: -hmm.
0: about um, the themes that are, you know, arisen in the film, the questions that the film poses subconsciously.
1: We we, we didn't even get into Freud and Young.
0: Oh, yeah. You could go... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could go for... We could go for another several hours just on, yeah, Freud and Young and the mm-hmm. psychology of the film. And,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's just so much meat I here. I could take
2: you on a whole New Age trip talking about stuff I'm into right now, I mean, too.
0: honestly, we may <laughs> even do a part two with the three of us where we just, you know, go into the themes of the film and I come up with a whole new batch of questions just <laughs> on the, the themes and philosophies and beliefs. Of the film,
1: well, you should save that for your patron. When you when you when you, when you switch over to patron, that this could be that could be one of your bonus episodes. There
0: Ooh, you go.
2: That's a good idea.
0: That is a good idea.
2: Uh, one of the things that, like, what I was drawn to the movie is we watched Mandy before we watched this, that's true. and I really really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. And so based on that, I was like, well, I like this one that he did. Yeah, I probably will like this one also. And
0: honestly, I think it's better to watch Mandy before you watch this one, just so you have your interest peaked because Mandy has enough of the similar um,
2: new age kind of. Yeah,
0: yeah, it has a similar feel philosophically and aesthetically. Huh?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's that? It takes place in the early 80s also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, it's similar, but at the same time, it's got a faster pace, and it's got a little more action and things like that. And so I think it's good to start with that and get a taste of the the purity of, uh, you know, the distillation of the... The more philosophical and heady elements of Mandy are at their purest in Beyond the Black Rainbow, and so I think it's good to to start with Mandy and have your your appetite whetted, as it, as it were, and then fully experience a, a film that's just those elements.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, well,
1: Mandy had a real had basically had a real linear plot. I mean, you right, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going on in Mandy. Yeah. Um, although that is another movie that, that, that's got an incredible subtext that
2: I'm still working on. Right. That's one you have to watch a few times. Well, too. we're
0: definitely going to do one, an episode of *Satanic Sanctum* on Mandy. Hopefully oh, yeah. soon. I'm working on my uh, the second half of the season and what that's going to look like, and so we'll probably have you back, Michael, for that. Um, just because I really
1: I've been listening to I listened to your psycho episode and um I listened to your first episode, which that wasn't psycho, that was something different on your
0: first episode. Uh Possessor was the first episode.
1: Yeah. Oh my god, I love that episode. You guys I just watched it like <laughs> before, and I can't wait to watch it again after listening to your episode. That was a really you guys did an amazing job in that movie down. Thank mm-hmm.
0: you. Thank you.
2: We even gave each other a high five after we taped that. We're like Oh wow! I that did. was real. That
0: was good. That, I think that, yeah. was, that, that well, was fun. Yeah, it, it was just fun to talk about it. And to me, like I hadn't seen a lot of the horror releases of twenty twenty, but that was the most astonishing to me that I had seen. And. folks it looks like we lost a little bit of the recording with michael and we are going to segue out of this excellent music from beyond the black rainbow and we are going to talk about michael's uh blog um the address online is w-i-w-l-n www.blogspot.com blogspot.com. Check it out. Check out his horror reviews. It's going to be really good. Um, so check that out. And don't forget to check out the Satanist Sanctum page on Facebook. Um, if you are not a member on the page, Um just request to be a member. Look up Satanist Sanctum online and find us there. And uh, we will continue with this podcast. It's going to be really good. Uh, schedule may be a little erratic, but uh, we will get these out there at least once every week, week and a half. And uh, we'll continue season one with with me and the Witch of Midway. And it's going to be good. All right, folks. We're going to send it into the outro. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Necronathan Presents Satanist Sanctum. I hope you had a horrific time.